1: I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for A Cup of Happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's conversation is with a super talented stand-up comedian, actress and writer from the US. She's paving the way for a more honest and open discussion around sex and relationships, and is a true modern symbol of female empowerment. Now, before we get started, how comfortable are you really when it comes to talking about the deepest depths of your personal life? From sex to mental health, it is not always easy. But our guest today helps us to understand that when we talk about these things freely, life gets better. Today's guest is the brilliant Christina Hutchinson, the no-nonsense co-host, on the critically acclaimed podcast, Guys We Fucked, the anti-slut shaming podcast with comedy partner and best friend, Corinne Fisher. We speak about what direction feminism is going in, cancel culture in comedy, normalizing sexuality and how not to hurt people in a breakup. Who knew that was possible? I loved this conversation. She is a true force of nature and an inspiration to women and men all over the world. I'm so delighted to introduce you to Christina Hutchinson. Hi, Christina. Hi, Josh. So great to meet you. What an honor. Oh, it's lovely to meet you too. Do you know, I know it sounds really random, but you have my favorite hair in the world. Oh, thanks. You're so beautiful. I'm like, oh my goodness, I want that hair. I put my (laughs) hair in rags to make it like that and it never bloody works. It always comes out looking ridiculous. I'm like, oh gosh, this woman and her hair, for goodness sake. (laughs) Thank you. I
0: just found out how to style it. I was crunching it in in high school, middle school. I did like the LA looks gel, like Justin Timberlake in the 90s. Yeah, very crunchy. So... Yeah. Perfect.
1: oh <laughs> lovely. <laughs> okay, we have more important things to talk about, though. I yeah. guess you know, life, love, women, feminism, all the good stuff, right? Let's get okay. into it. So, I have been watching your stand-ups. I think you're so Thank funny. You. Oh my god! Thank you so much. Oh my god, so funny, and you make really good points. Actually, whilst you're being really, really funny, I feel a certain way about stand-up comics. I think that you have to be so brave I know it's terrifying performing because I do that and whenever I am finished with the song when the music is over I am immediately terrified in between and I never know what to say oh my god it's awful I try and say things that will make people like laugh and it's the most awkward I always say like double entendres and embarrassing things and (laughs) it's just it's really bad so I just think (laughs) I just think that um you know We go through a lot in life and you talk a lot about on your podcast, what you've been through with your friend as well. And she tells many stories about the past and basically a slew of bastards. And um, I think that to be brave after everything that's gone on, how do you do it? A lot of people would love to do that. So how do you do that? Well, thank you so much. That means so much coming from you.
0: Well, I would say bombing in front of audiences for years with your own words that you make up from your heart and they don't land well because the way you say your own words just people don't either the audiences can smell fear they could smell like if you're confident on stage you already have a good foundation and then you know the jokes will come but I think if you could survive that there's nothing worse that could happen (laughs) right the only way is up at that point Yeah, and it's so funny you say that with the vulnerability, because to me, I think singing is one of the most vulnerable things a human being can do. I think that is the most naked I've ever seen a human in my life is when somebody sings. Because jokes can be a front, right? Like we all know the person that's not a comedian that kind of jokes about everything to keep people at a distance. So jokes can be used that way. I personally, I've had a, a rough go when I was younger, so I think I'm just used to really intense things and intense emotions and and healing and kind of looking at yourself so you just got to power through and live in the embarrassment of what you just said not landing well and (laughs) then you realize it's not
1: so bad it's actually not that bad yeah I suppose you're right you know young singers will say you know how do you get over the nerves which I suppose is the same conversation and really you just have to do it don't you yeah make friends with it and then like you say once it's gone wrong you realize you didn't die you're okay well done yes <laughs> you know, yes listening. and you go like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done you survived I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier it was the voices in your head oh yes <laughs> and you started out congratulations everyone you haven't killed yourselves yeah. well done <laughs> and I'm yeah. like oh my god this woman is absolutely <laughs> fucking hilarious but sometimes you wake up and you think yep I'm here I'm still breathing it's okay we can get through this life together life is hard yeah life is hard And we can do hard things. I learned this while running with a woman on this treadmill, right? Some treadmills nowadays have little people running with you. And there was this blonde lady. She looks like a beautiful Barbie doll. And she's running this marathon. Of course, I join her for like a mile and then I turn off. And she's like, you can do hard things too. We can do hard (laughs) things. We can do this. It's stuck in my head.
0: It's true. We bloody can. The only thing you have to do is be there with yourself for every second. That's the scariest part is being present in the moment. Being present in your own body going, oh, I am here in the middle of being embarrassed. It'll make you so strong. The fortitude that you will gain from doing it, especially over and over again, is massive. And that makes you want to take more risks.
1: Yeah, true, cuz it can be quite fun, can it?
0: Yeah, cuz this is all this is all made up. This society and and what people think you should do and how you should be, it's all fucking made up. And you don't have to buy into it. And it's wild like we all just do because what other option are we presented with? So that's why being embarrassed or saying something that doesn't land, like saying a joke that bombs, like I almost look forward to that now cuz it's just <laughs> it's special.
1: <laughs> cuz it's funnier in a way. It is. It's a comedy show for you. Yeah, if, if anybody, just, there's just
0: one person <laughs> having fun and that's okay. <laughs> oh my
1: god! Oh well, well, good on you, girl. Honestly, <laughs> I think it's amazing. <laughs> so the one that I have just finished watching was actually you and um. It's Corinne, isn't it? Your friend, mm-hmm. Corinne Fisher. Yes, my comedy so partner. she she's hilarious. So you two are still on the stage and explaining, you know, your podcast, and you say honestly, the things I'm about to say, people don't don't be offended here. Um, you say, well, we get a lot of dumb bitches writing into us. And I'm like, what? What, <laughs> what did they just say? Yes, we do. We've got some dumb bitches that are going to come up on stage now and ask us some questions. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening here? So I suppose, explain to our to our listeners, yeah. what constitutes a dumb bitch?
0: Well, as a former dumb bitch, and also we say that with love because we started saying that because Corinne and I are really good at, uh, she's bad cop, I'm good cop. And so together we form like a whole perspective. Like we're, we're very different people. But when we come together, we're like this megatron of like advice giving. And we get a lot of women specifically, we're harder on women because we expect more from them. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> but women like doing things, just selling themselves short. And a lot of the times it's for a guy and it's a lot of times for a guy that kind of sucks. And so it drives us crazy as somebody who has been there. I see it and I'm kind of yelling at myself when I when I yell at the listeners sometimes. But I think people write into us because they know they're being a dumb bitch. So we say that lovingly, but we just say we have a keychain that says not a dumb bitch as part of our merch because nobody wants to be that.
1: No, and we all have no. and it's OK. And we've all been that many times and really yeah. only for the bad guys. The good, the good ones. You never are that way. I know. I know. They don't require that, right? Right. I agree. And it's so it's crazy. So to us, it's like
0: we need to be able to call each other out when we're acting like a dumb bitch because it's we're helping each other. It's the times that I was a dumb bitch over a guy. I did see it, but I protected myself from seeing it. So I needed somebody to tell me, Christina, you're being a dumb bitch right now. Stop. You're better than that. So yeah. So that's when we say, don't be a dumb bitch. We just say, don't sell yourself short for anything and don't take crumbs. Crumbs shouldn't taste like sandwiches from people.
1: Right. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? When you're trying to give advice to someone you love so much and you don't want them to, they're basically hurting themselves. They're like going home and punching themselves in the face. They may as well. You want to give advice and you want it to get fixed and it doesn't. It doesn't always. They have to see it from the inside, which is a real... It's frustrating.
0: It's heartbreaking. It's hard to be friends with somebody like that. But recently, we were talking about a more kind of heightened version of that is what do you do when your good friend that you love and care about is being abused physically or emotionally? That's a really hard one, too. But it's like, these are the kind of things that we need to talk about, because we don't know what to say in these types of conversations. So that's why I I always excavate like uh, experience from our listeners, like who here is, has been in a relationship and you've been physically abused, emotionally abused. What got you to get out? And what helped you? What hindered you? And a lot of times we heard stories from women who who said all of her friends abandoned her essentially because she wasn't getting out of the situation. And so that made it worse. And so it's hard. It's a tricky line. But it's like these are the types of conversations that Corinne and I are really interested in having because we want to help these situations you want to and help. prevent them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's difficult when you're in that. Often the man, I say the man, could be the woman. Rare but mostly the man, man, they will separate you from your friends, you know, isolate. Yeah. That's kind of part of the trick, isn't it? Yeah. And then you're totally stuck. The guy will say things. It's very, the manipulation.
0: Once you can pull the curtain back and see the manipulation for what it is, it's very helpful. So that's why we try and talk about this particular subject a lot. If your boyfriend is being, or husband is being abusive to you and he says, He'll say, he'll plant little seeds of manipulation in your ear. Like, oh, your friends probably think I'm not good for you before he starts the abuse. So that way, when eventually the friend goes, hey, are you okay? I don't know if this relationship is serving you. The boyfriend's like, see, I was right. So that these are these tactics. I learned what the word love bombing meant like a year ago. I didn't know what that word meant. So love bombing, when you meet somebody and they just envelope you with, they're just obsessed with you and just. It's this whirlwind romance and you can't, you're just in your own amoeba with this other person and no one else exists. I always thought that was great, but
1: <laughs> it turns out it's not. Apparently it's quite dangerous. I do feel like, can't we have that and have it not be dangerous? Why can't we have that in a nice, healthy way? But no, I don't know. I think it's almost a tactic. Yeah, it can be a
0: tactic. When it's extreme like that, it's a tactic. But I think when a healthy relationship starts, you you know, you obviously are head over heels for each other and... That's such an exciting time, and you absolutely enjoy that time and just, you know, make sure there's balance.
1: Have you ever experienced a physically abusive relationship in your life? No, I haven't. Good for you, girl. The
0: only um, physical abuse was consensual in bed. So,
1: oh, right. Love you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. As long as it's consensual, choices, choices we've got to make, them, haven't we? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's a difficult thing. I have to say, when I was 17, I was in a very abusive relationship with a cheeky little bastard right i I call him that because i find it funny now like weirdly i don't know why what's funny about mechanism it's funny because he is a little shit (laughs) and i can't believe that i let that little human control me in that way but i was like 17 he was 25 i was scared i was like oh my god but actually now i look back So anyway, fast forward like 12 years, his wife called and asked me to testify against him because he was still dangerous. He's a very dangerous guy. And so she was like, look, I don't know, but he talked about you in a really strange way. And I feel like you've gone Mm. through what I've gone through. Wow. And I said, "Okay, yeah. What do you need me to do? Because she's had a kid with him. So she was like, I need to protect my child. And I had a dream that you were gonna help my child. It's a bit mad, isn't it? But anyway, so I went over there and I testified against him. It was so weird. And I, there was three of us, three women to testify against him. And I saw the fear in the lady's eyes. She was like in tears, in a state of fear for sure. And then the other girl, she was probably about five years away from it. So she was a little bit shaken, but not as much. And then there was me, I was 12 years away from it. And I was laughing at him. I had completely gone through it. I had come out the other side and the lawyer said, look, you are gonna feel like this soon. It just takes a bit of time. Just need to kind of compartmentalize it. Look at it for what it is. He is a little Punani and not in the best way. You know,
0: he really,
1: really is just weak. He is cowardice, he is broken. And you can laugh at that if you want. If If you can find it in your heart to do that, it won't hurt you anymore you know. Uh-huh. So it was interesting to see those women going through the stages, you know. Wow. Do you have, um, I know, I didn't mean to talk about me. God, how silly. That's incredible, though, to see somebody that you were with
0: at, at 17, though, you are a different woman. I mean, you, you've you had multiple iterations since you were 17. The lessons you've learned, the growth that you've experienced. Wow, that's incredible, actually. That's, that's what a, what a unique, rare opportunity. Did, was he in the courtroom?
1: Oh, yeah, he was. Oh, that was awkward. man.
0: Did you feel powerful gazing at him on the other side of the
1: I felt podium? really nervous, actually. I did feel really nervous when I saw him. And then there were these three guys there. They were so awesome. These, They're like biker guys. They were absolutely huge. This guy's like five foot six. He's tiny. Why I dated him, I do not know. But anyway, he's a little pipsqueak. Yeah. And I see him like that now. Even his personality, I'm like, you are ugh. But there was these guys that were from some charity that, a biker group had put together and they were huge. They were like seven foot tall, absolutely massive. And they stood around us women. And I thought, who are you? Are you our security guards? And they said, no ma'am, we just come here to make domestic violence victims feel safe. That's what we do. We will be standing here. He will not come anywhere near you. I thought, oh thanks that's beautiful i know i thought that's so lovely and they're not getting paid no one's asked them to be there oh oh my god it's really beautiful
0: like that's what we need but we need that we need the men because there's so many men in this world that are amazing creatures that are just beautiful beautiful human beings and that's you need that especially when you're faced with a piece of shit like that who's just so filled with fear and takes it out on others
1: that's so beautiful and it's hateful against women yeah, it was really lovely. Wow. Really lovely. That's and a great story. you know, so when we talk about feminism, I was actually just talking to my friend Rich about it. I noticed that I went round the world and I was, I've interviewed many feminists and I've learned a lot about this, you know, movement. And I always consider myself a feminist. And then I realized that there's this kind of thing that's attached to it now, not so much at the beginning, but now it like turns people off and we need good men to be part of this movement and good women and we don't want them to be turned off by the fight because actually I don't know if we need to be fighting anymore because guess what we're good we are amazing actually so now it's more about love so I feel like where do you think feminism is going do you think it's getting is it still being productive or have we got some little glitches to fix
0: I think it is being productive. I think that all the iterations of feminism have all been productive. I learned about feminism through doing Guys We Fucked. I never really, I didn't call myself that, but I I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just didn't really grasp it or understand it. So I got an education on it through doing the podcast and through people calling us that and then really learning and educating myself to be on board with it. And then we discovered like, oh, yes, this is obviously this is such an important thing. Our goal for feminism and our contribution is we want to inject a sense of humor in it because that's how you get everybody on board. You put humor into anything serious and feminism is there's so much humor in the way women are treated and how ridiculous it is and and, it's ridiculous and (laughs) and just plastering that for everybody to see it can be crazy can't it it can and so and acknowledging that and i think it's important to acknowledge that people who have like a roll their eyes at it or get they're just they're just lame anyway at this point i feel like we've really pushed we've all worked together well in a good way to add men to the movement to add good men to the movement to add a sense of humor yeah Absolutely. Because when women are happy and when women feel safe, the whole world is better. So true, isn't it? And when women are horny, everyone's happy. I feel like when just men are horny, no one's happy.
1: No, that can be quite dangerous and scary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought that, I don't know, people go up in arms. Can't we just call it equalism? And then people won't feel angry. Those that do feel angry will immediately go, oh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I don't want more rights than men. I just want the same rights, you know? I've learned throughout the years that when somebody gets
0: mad at a concept like feminism... They're not understanding it. They're not understanding it, but also they're getting mad at something else. Like... They're getting mad at their mother. They're getting mad at their ex-girlfriend. They're getting mad at the woman who rejected them. They're getting mad. And it's like, all right, let's call a spade a spade here and get to the actual fucking issue of what you're upset about. Because it's not this movement that's fighting for equality. How can that possibly upset you?
1: If it, no, and if it course. does, that
0: means you're scared and you're hurting. And your job is to figure that out. But like, come on, look look at yourself. Look in the mirror.
1: God, I met this guy in Yemen. It was the most interesting thing that has happened to me. I... I thought, bloody hell, I, my brain is smushed after that <laughs> happened. It really was. So this guy, right, I go to visit this charity. And the charity is, we are a school for women in Yemen. They can take off their hijab when they come in. We are teaching them to be educated and essentially have equal rights or work towards that. And they can within these walls. When they walk out of these walls, they have to put the hijab back on because I'm safe. And that's terrible. So I'm interviewing the teacher about this and he's like, oh yes, of course we do this, it's fabulous. And then I said, oh, I'm playing a gig later after we have done our interview, it's over. I'm playing a gig later down the road, do you wanna come? Oh yes, I'd love to come, fantastic. I said, yeah, invite your wife. He goes, oh no, 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 I can't do that. I can't bring my wife. I said, hang on a minute, what did we just talk about? Like, why am I here? I am so fucking confused. And he goes, um, no, 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 you don't understand. And he spent half an hour explaining to me that it is his job, this guy, bless him, he was very sweet, just coming from a different place. It was his job to protect her from other men's eyes. He said, what if they see her dancing? I said, but dude, she is covered in a black sheet. No one can see her, literally no one. When I played this gig, women were on the right, men were on the left. All the women were covered in a black sheet and I look. That's their choice, whatever. No, it's not their choice. Their men have decided, and look at it from this perspective, if your brain can even turn into the shape to look at it like this. They are saying, I am protecting her. I protect her every fingertip, her fingernails. I protect those. I protect her hair on her head from all the other men because the men are dangerous. And I thought, bloody hell. Okay, well, I get how that's happened. In his head, his dad has said to him, this is your job. And if you don't do that, you have failed. So, wow. When you put your
0: self-worth into protecting your wife, you're going to take that extremely seriously. And you're going to get probably very offended if something should get in the way of that. It's crazy because I, gosh, these are the types of conversations with, with people that are in cultures that I don't know anything about, but I'm so curious about. Everything that you do, that you say, every law that's implemented, every anything is coming from either a place of love or fear. This is coming from very clearly a place of fear. Massive. It could be masked as love for your wife, but it's really you're fearing other men. And so I'm like, just dismantle that. You can verbally dismantle that. What if a man saw your wife dancing? What if he jerked off to it later? Okay. What are you afraid of? Like, what's the worst case scenario?
1: I mean, in Yemen, I suppose the worst case scenario would be she, she would be raped and killed. That is pretty bad. But it's
0: like, I mean, how do you dismantle a culture or, or a government or a, or a country or a place that has been operating this way for so long? That is wild.
1: Isn't that mad? It's like a whole other world. Yeah. Oh,
0: man, that's fucked up. That ma- that type of masculinity is... Woof.
1: Yeah. And he's there every day teaching women how to be educated and free. I'm like, oh, you're... What? I will never get it. I feel like I want to go back just to really understand it more, but I'm actually a bit scared. (laughs) So he's progressive. This man is very progressive. This man is in his country is a feminist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, no, she can't come to the show. It's just strange, isn't it? So we live in our culture, and we are so, so lucky. And when I feel really pissed off because I'm being treated differently because I'm a woman, which happens all the time, of course, I just remind myself of that, and I think, okay, look at the graph, Joss. There is this graph. And if you go back to, I don't know, 1920s and look at it now, I think we should be quite proud of ourselves.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And stuff with the technology evolving the way it is, conversations get to more places quicker. And so it's really cool that so many people have things like podcasts because because then these conversations are accessible to everybody and you're getting things that you've never thought about before. And so the world is so connected. I just bought a globe.
1: <laughs> and, oh, of the
0: world? Oh, cool. Yeah. And I stare at it all the time and I'm like, damn, every household should have a globe in it. Like, oh, it's yeah, crazy it's how, because we are connected digitally. And then you look at a globe and you're like, this is kind of crazy, you guys. Like, there's a lot of people here.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of people and a lot of different opportunities. Just got to travel and see the world. It's quite a beautiful place, but there's lots of issues going on. Lots of jokes out there. Yeah, a lot of jokes. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure yeah. you can oh, grab yeah. a bunch of jokes. Just go on a trip to the Middle East. You'll come back full of them.
0: Oh yeah, one of my close friends is from Saudi Arabia and she's going there for a month with her daughter and she's like, do you want to come? I'm like, yes, I absolutely do. I want to learn about cultures that I'm like, I can't even picture what it looks like and the and the stuff that Americans are fed through media and stuff. It's like, that's not accurate. You know, the jig is up. Like the emperor has no clothes on. I want to see the world for myself.
1: It's quite funny going there and then coming back into the Western world, you realize, oh wow, this is a real bubble. And um, it's actually quite quite lovely yeah even the bad bits are like oh that bad bit's actually lovely in comparison to the you know it's really not so bad yeah it's not so bad at all it's really quite crazy so I wanted to talk to you about the cancel culture for comedians and how rife that is in your profession it's like your profession is being attacked it's almost like they're trying to take it away or something it's like people don't have a sense of humor no I know that's not very nice and it's actually quite scary because it's one of my most favorite things is to laugh. Obviously, it's joyful. Yeah, it's a release. Yeah. And I feel like this, if people are too offended, obviously, they're not going to be happy. They're going to be stressed out. But they are threatening your, your profession. So what do you reckon's going to happen? Have you got a crystal ball on that one? I wish I did, but it's
0: very interesting to, it's, it's incredibly interesting to be a comedian at this moment. I've talked to a lot of comedians that have been in the game for decades, much longer than I. I often ask them, was it this bad? Was there this much scrutiny when you were starting out? They're like, absolutely not. Comedy is being scrutinized in a way that is truly unprecedented, and I think one of the reasons for that is people don't know what to do when they get offended. They feel like they have to, they feel like they have to do something. But there's so many different types of stand-up comedy. There's stand-up comedians that are storytellers. There's stand-up comedians that are like genuine performers, and they're not really like set up punchline, set up punchline. They're they're more they're big and they act out and they they mime things. And then there's other comedians that push your buttons, and those are the comedians that I really love because I enjoy. I've had so many times I'm watching a stand-up comedy special or a show, and the comic will say something where I'm like, "Ooh!" But I love that because it makes me go, "Why do I feel that way? What's, yes, what's, what's that about?" But I think so many people, when they go, "Ooh," you're 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 putting a mirror to whatever makes them uncomfortable about themselves, and they just can't handle it, and it's really really interesting. I think there's also this like pressure cooker feeling. I feel like it's kind of enveloping the world since COVID happened and we're all kind of more contained. Thank God, not, not so much anymore. And so everyone's forced to sit with themselves. Um, which is punishment.
1: Yeah, it's like getting worse because of that, maybe. There's just stuck inside. I feel like a lot of people are going cuckoo. It's
0: a mixture between that and between social media. Everything is accessible. And so when you're in a comedy club, a lot of times you're not going to get somebody scrutinizing the comedian in a comedy club because they came there to laugh. They came there, they understand that they might get offended. They might laugh. They might, you know, it's fine. The internet is not a comedy club. And so people will react in all kinds of ways. And the cancel culture... It's gross because it's like, well, why can't we hold people accountable without calling them a demon or a monster and taking their specials down from HBO? Like that's not going to one solve if there's a problem that you deem is a societal or cultural problem instead of talking about it and having a conversation, which is actually going to move the needle. You just want to ban this person from speaking. That's so childish. What are you? Who are you? Trump? Come
1: on. It's very like North Korea. Yeah. You know, it's very much like, okay, so you have to do what you're told. And if you don't, we're going to crush you. And I think that's really, it's actually really mean. It is. And um, it's so interesting. So Dave Chappelle, who's one of my favorite stand-ups. I was just going to ask you about that. I love him. I love him so much.
0: I've gotten to work with him. He is incredible. He's talented. hes I was so glad I got the chance to work with him. Cause I'm like, wow, you can be super fucking famous. And kind and respectful, and love comedy. And he's a wonderful human being. He holds a comedian's ball every year for comics, everywhere from open micers to people who've been in the game for 50 years. He rents it out marquee nightclub in new york city this past summer and my friend and i went he did open bar it was just for comedians so it was
1: this gorgeous
0: nightclub that i used to like sneak into with a fake id when i was 19 and now i'm in it and there's not a lot of people because it's just the comedy scene in new york basically it was really cool and he was hosting this little show because there's a stage at the nightclub where there's all these like sideshow acts that he clearly hired there's like a woman putting cake up her vagina but like an older woman it was it was wild it was really fun and he's standing on the side of the stage going, What the fuck? Like, it was oh great. Oh my God. But at the end of the night, he gave a speech to all of us. And he was like, We are the truth tellers of the world. And never be afraid to talk about what you think is funny, what you think needs to be called out, what you think is hypocritical. Get on stage. I am passing the torch to all of you. I can't hold it forever. And it is your job to be the truth tellers of the world. And we're just, and we had our phones locked up for the night because anytime Dave has a party or a show, he does that, which I really love because it just forces you to be present. And um, we were just sitting around in this nightclub, like getting a speech from the best one of us on the planet. And it was really moving, but it was about how comedy is under attack. And so you just have to stand tall in it and not let that sway you voicing whatever your heart wants to voice
1: it comes back to being brave again. Yeah, you know, you guys are very ballsy people. It's brilliant. It's really <laughs> very inspiring to watch. I watched uh, his um, his stand up recently, and um, I heard all this controversy about it. And I watched it, and I was like completely moved. Yeah, it was
0: beautiful. I love that special.
1: It was amazing. It wasn't just funny. It was like, man, this guy's heart is like bursting with love for everyone. And if anybody has any idea in their head that he's not kind, or he's been horrible to transgender people or anything like that, just go watch it. Because it's absolute load of shit. And they are just trying to cancel someone that is brilliant. Yeah, You have to go and watch it. it is it's worth watching. It was really interesting to see how he handled being cancelled in quotes, because he's
0: such a good human being. And he really gives a shit about issues. And his joke, from a comic's perspective, you look at the joke and you go, he's saying, why are trans people in line in front of Black people for rights? That was the crux of his joke. And that's his joke to make. That was a joke that he was making in one of his previous specials. And then he was talking about that. And he was talking about how all the things about it that made him uncomfortable and why. And he was just like, opening his heart, basically. And it was really fascinating to watch. I really enjoyed that special. And I was like, damn, so many people are so mad at him. I'm like,
1: it's almost like they haven't watched it. Like they haven't. I don't know if you just hear a little tidbit. It's like, why are you mad? You have to just listen. I asked my sister the other day. She's like, oh, that Joe Rogan. I can't listen to Joe Rogan. (laughs) And I said, Lulu, have you listened to any of them? Yeah. Any of them in full? No, but I don't like him. I said, Lulu, No, you gotta listen to five and then we can discuss. Yes. And it's the same thing. Like, please, anyone, do not take somebody's hearsay, Chinese whispers, bollocks. Yeah go and listen, go and see the love behind the person because most people are loving. Yeah, and it's a
0: thing where it's like comics, especially like Dave is one of them. Like if we say something that's offensive, I'm curious as to why. Like, why do you find that offensive? Genuinely, I'm I'm curious. It's not like a smart-ass question. And then it really makes you realize every person's opinion on something, it's a culmination of every second of their individual life from the moment they came out of their mother's womb until right now. Every experience they've ever had, every adult that's been guiding them along the way, every everything they've seen in their life, that is what goes into one person's opinion. So when you think about it that way, you're like, wow, we have vast differences in our experiences on this planet. And so I love hearing other people's opinion, especially when I disagree with it, because it's I'm not familiar with it. But the cancel culture part of it is like, we got to stop that.
1: Oh, we got to. Do you know what? I actually don't believe it's possible to cancel someone. I think that it's a lot of talk. And I know people do lose jobs for certain reasons, but you know what? You can come back. If you are good, if you are good at what you do, you can't be cancelled. I just don't believe it. And I think if you really believe that about yourself, you don't have to fear it. And I guess that's, again, coming back to having that confidence. If you're good, you cannot be cancelled. I just don't believe it's possible. Of course, unless someone shoots you in the head, then you're probably cancelled. Yeah then you're off to, you know, it's kind of done, isn't it at that point? But <laughs> other than murder, <laughs> I just I don't think it's possible. murder is the ultimate
0: cancellation. <laughs>
1: that's the ultimate. And that is the only way. <laughs> but really, no, you can't just talk shit about someone. We're not in mean girls here. You can't do that.
0: Yeah. And, and, and if you're on that side of it, you have to stand true. You have to face yourself. You have to go is what they're saying true. You're, you're forced to
1: kind of dig maybe deeper inside yourself than you normally would have should we listen though should we listen to them to the bullshit or should we just go don't be so silly i'm fine i love me the way i love me i think that that option the latter
0: is definitely the better for me i'm just very curious about the human experience and i'm interested in people that have led lives that are completely different from mine so me personally i think i'm a little bit more of the exception to that most comedians though would probably say like fuck that fuck that noise no you don't listen to that Right?
1: shut it out yeah don't listen to the mess like um the voices in your head yeah (laughs) So many (laughs) listen to some of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I had this guy on and he wrote a book called Chatter and it's about the voices in your head. And he was giving advice on like how to like not spiral, you Mm -hmm. know, when you have those voices. Like he said there was a few little tidbits. He was like, talk to yourself and put your name in front of it. So instead of saying, Don't be silly, that's not happening. You'd say, Christina. Don't be silly. That's not how uh, yes. I felt that. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. You know what you're saying?
0: You kind of like, yeah, I don't know. There's tips anyway. I agree with that tactic. And I've employed that in a lot of occasions. It's just like your own little inner coach, like your third base coach. It's just like, and another one, I need
1: gentleness,
0: I'm so sensitive and I'm so affected by so much. I'm like, no I way. cry all I the can't time. imagine
1: that. That's oh so my funny. God.
0: I'm so oh, sensitive. But I know that's about myself and I understand that sometimes I'll take things personally and I, and I know that I'm doing that. So I, I have to like coach myself. But something that I do because I'm such a sensitive little soul is I'll stare at myself in the mirror and I'll just say like in the most gentle tone I could possibly conjure up like, I love you. Like I just say, oh. I love you to myself a bunch of times and it really helps. That's
1: very sweet. Oh, (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. How cute. Um, What's your star sign? Pisces. Oh, Pisces. My mum's a Pisces. It's a lot of emotion.
0: Yeah. And a lot of psychic psychic ability and emotion.
1: (laughs) Oh, really? Can you see things that are about to happen?
0: It's been happening a lot lately. It's really interesting. I had a lot of like childhood trauma stuff. And so once I'm like getting through those emotions and like old feelings are coming up for me, that's why I've been crying a lot lately. But I'm getting those out of my system and I'm making room for more, there's just more real estate in my mind. And so this weird phenomenon has been happening where I'll be having a conversation with somebody and right before they say like a, a unique word that they're about to use, like an adjective, it'll pop in my head. And then they'll say it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like weird stuff like that. Like I know somebody's going to call me before they call me. So I'm obsessed with mediums. I think it's the most incredible thing. And there's this woman, there's a show on Netflix called surviving death that completely changed my life. And I can't stop thinking about the concepts talked about in this docuseries. There's a woman named Laura Lynn Jackson, who has two New York times bestselling books. I've read them both. She's a medium and she, you watch her deliver a message to like a mother who's lost a daughter to addiction And you can clearly see this mother being healed right in front of you because she's been harboring this guilt about what could I have done? How could I have intervened more? How could I have? And every day she wakes up with this heavy weighted blanket on her. And then Laura will tune into her daughter and embody like the spirit of her daughter and give messages that only this woman would know is her daughter. And you watch her life change forever you when she sat down in that chair she was a different person when she left that chair she's lighter and she has permission to live her life and it's incredible so like it's it's wild that this is a healing opportunity that is available to any human
1: if you find the right person right right that's actually connected it's a difficult thing and you also I think you have to really open up your heart and believe in it in order yeah. for that to happen which is hard to do if you're a questioning human being it can be for sure oh, I don't know if I believe that but I want it to be real. Yeah. You know, so if you want something to be real, then let it. You make it up. Because it can be extremely healing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very much so. Wow. So do you reckon you could do that? So
0: I do, actually. There's a book that I've been diving into called Messages of Hope, and it's it's written by this woman, Suzanne Geisman, I think. She used to work for the U.S. government and she, at the beginning of the book, she talks about how she was in one of the only planes that was in the air during 9-11. She was with the Secretary of Defense and about three years after 9-11, her and her husband, who was also working in the government, they retired. And her husband was uh, high up in the Navy. He had a daughter from another marriage. who was in her 20s, also in the Navy. And during their retirement, her daughter died suddenly and tragically passed away. And this woman watched her husband grieve in a way that she didn't think he would ever come back from. And he was so deep in this well of sorrow that she didn't even realize a human being could go to and she was like there has to be a way there's no way your daughter who's this vibrant soul can be here and then just gone she's just disintegrated. there's no way and so she started going to mediums and trying to search for some semblance of communication with her eventually after a couple appointments she found somebody who delivered very specific messages she went home and told her husband and she watched his eyes light up like oh my god that was my daughter what there's a college in the UK that I really want to go to. It's called the Arthur Finlay College. And you can go, it's a metaphysical, you can study metaphysics and, and spirituality and stuff. She went to that college and learned how to become a medium. And she does that now for a living she does it for free she, like she has her clients like make a donation to a charity and she just gives these messages to people who really need them and it's wild so i'm like oh you can do this if you have a gravitational pull towards it that's probably a sign that you have the ability accessible to you you just have to kind of learn how to do it it's the sixth sense, isn't it?
1: That we don't really nurture. We have to nurture that sense. Yeah,
0: we're so wrapped up in the five senses. They're so distracted.
1: <laughs> do you see that in your future? Do you reckon that you might like follow that path?
0: Yeah, I do. I think I do. so.
1: I'm feeling that you might. I'm
0: obsessed with it. I just think it's the coolest thing and it makes you... It's magical, isn't it? It is magical. And it makes you think of things like cancel culture, like all this stuff, like all this bullshit, all the, uh, the uh, and you're like, we could talk to somebody who is not on this planet anymore. That is so incredible. Yeah. And it makes you take a step back and go- Put it in perspective. Exactly. Like what is important and what is exciting and what do I want to gravitate towards? Not the trash.
1: (laughs) No, it's mad, isn't it? Like somebody's drama to you might be like, that's so silly. And then, you know, vice versa. It's like one man's trash is another man's treasure. So how do we get into these spirals of madness? It just happens. We're human. We go through it. And then we come out the other side. And we've all been through little bits of shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully we can pull ourselves out. It's um, a lot of it is about not being insecure, I think. Which I think your podcast really helps with. I mean, I know you have the two. Are you still doing both of them? So The Voices in Our Heads is my solo podcast.
0: I do episodes on Patreon, but I stopped doing, there's about 80 episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts now. It just got a little too, I was really into this deep dive of unveiling, and peeling back the layers of the childhood trauma that I experienced because I didn't realize that there was even trauma until not that long ago. So it was the mind fuck. So it was like the journey into- Sharing
1: it definitely helps other people
0: yeah but guys who fucked is my podcast with corinne fisher my comedy partner and that's ongoing we've been doing that for eight years and that's still going yeah that's on um we're exclusive to luminary which is a podcast channel on apple it's also an app and then the episodes come out wide release uh, after seven days but yeah that podcast has done great and having a comedy partner that's genuinely A confident person, probably one of the few that I've ever actually met. Oh, really? It's very helpful. It's residual because we need examples of people that face things that would make us normally go, oh, I would cower and I would cry and lock up in my room for days. Witnessing somebody handle that with grace and not be affected by it, that moves the needle the fastest. And that's what I've been given through being comedy partners with Corinne Fisher.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really has a purpose. It's really quite clear that the people that listen to it, not only are they going to laugh, but they're going to get a lot of tips and tricks out of it and hear stories from other people that have gone through probably the same thing they have. And I think that's really important. It is the anti-slut shaming podcast that you guys call it, Mm -hmm. which I think is brilliant. So we have to just be happy the way we are. And you kind of normalise all different types of sexuality, no matter how you want to live your life, to allow people to be Happy in themselves, and I'm listening to it, and I feel this is so bad. I feel so boring because I'm like, <laughs> okay. I'm like why am I so boring? So you know how my friend Brian, he was actually a New Yorker as well. He's like, Josh, you got to get out of this fairy tale bullshit. This is not true. Cinderella's not real, and Neva's <laughs> bloody little mermaid or whatever it is. And I, I'm like, but I like it though. And I can't help it. <laughs> and I, but and it's so, it's so funny. But that's awesome. Bleed into that. That's wonderful. Yeah. You got to be you, you yes. know? And I think that's the most important thing I take from the podcast. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I need to uh, live a little. But really, everybody's different. And some people just take joy in. Having babies and stuff. Yeah. And having one man. (laughs) Just one. Just one. (laughs) Some
0: people have multiple partners. Some people have a wife and they don't live with their wife. Like I've been exposed to so many different ways that you can do a relationship where I'm like, wow, you really can customize it to whatever works for you and that person. Any rule. Yeah.
1: And, And sex sex is it has to work for both of you. Yeah,
0: 100%. If there's any longevity to the relationship, but sex is so fun. And it can be so special and such a beautiful way to connect. And you don't get close to other people the way that you do with your sexual partners. So and it's vulnerable, and it's can be terrifying. And there's so many different ways you can do it. And so it's like, you got to almost remind yourself to not get wrapped up in all the chatter about sexuality, about what other people think, how you should conduct yourself sexually.
1: And how you've learned to be, you know, from your indoctrination, your personal indoctrination, which we've all got. You know, we've all got one of those. I'm always worried about people that are having threesomes or a polyamorous relationship I think well someone's gonna get upset and I don't want it to be you my my best friend <laughs> I just don't want anyone to be upset and I see that I'm like I'm like worried about everyone the whole time and they're like no no I'm fine I don't know what you're talking about everything's all right but it takes all sorts yeah and as long as each person is happy then hey That's great. And some
0: people just aren't built. Like, I don't know that I am built. I don't know this about myself yet, but I I would guess no. I don't think I'm built to be in love with more than one person at a time. I just, it's too much work. Oh my God. It
1: sounds stressful to me. Very stressful.
0: Actually, Corinne was in a relationship that she, she really enjoyed with a married man who was in an open marriage. And she met the wife. I met the wife and the, and her partner at the time, this man, and it worked so well. And I was like, wow I want to call you out for like lying to yourself which was like fucked up of me but but that was what (laughs) I was thinking in my head but I'm like of course you I can't call you out on anything you're conducting yourself with honesty there's more communication than would be if it was just two people dating
1: so how did the wife was she cool she was mellow yeah she was like yeah I love this This is great. And
0: her husband had a a higher sex drive than her, and she didn't have another partner, and he did. She was just tired. Yeah, and they were fine, and they really loved each other. I was with Corinne and hung out with her boyfriend at the time and his wife, and I was like, this is going to be fucking weird. It was wonderful. And I was like, wow, I needed to see that. Okay. So, and how
1: did it end if it did end or is it still going on?
0: It ended, I think Corinne, she said on the podcast that she was in a place where she didn't want to be someone's primary partner, but she wanted a partner. She wanted to to have a sexual partner, but she didn't want to feel suffocated. So it didn't
1: end in tears? Not at all. It was a lovely ending. Yeah. And they're still friends. Gosh, wow. Lovely endings to relationships. I have never had one. (gasps) Really? Ever, <laughs> ever, no. Is it Never. because you,
0: you hold on to the fairy tale
1: or? No, because things only end if it's going wrong,
0: if there's pain. You know what? I think that's so interesting. We feel like it has to crash and burn before we get out of it. And kind it's of, like,
1: yeah, yeah. I should have got out probably before that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes people don't yeah. feel comfortable getting out of a relationship because if you're not sexually compatible, that's a big, that's
1: a big one. People are often afraid. Yeah, because you feel guilty. You don't want to upset someone or offend them or be shallow, actually. You don't want to be shallow. But sexuality, that's a big difference
0: between a friend and a lover is sex. That's the main difference. So you're very concerned about others, how others are doing.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Then It it has to get to a place where it's just too awful. And then you go. And then you feel comfortable enough. Yeah. And then both people are like, fine, this is awful. I hate this. But that's ridiculous, isn't it? We don't need to do that. I mean it's not very um it's not the smartest way to go through life, but it's just the way that it happens for a lot of people. And sometimes you need to push to feel comfortable. And I'm
0: curious, like, if you felt secretly relieved when the person did something so, oh, that's my get out of jail free breakup with you card.
1: That's my out, but they never bloody do. It's always me. I have to bloody it's so annoying. So that's a lesson for you probably then, in that Isn't like that you have worst?
0: to be comfortable. I understand completely. I was seeing a guy and I just wasn't feeling it. Like we hung out six times. He's such a catch. Like this guy is truly oh. a lovely man. I was like mad at myself for not being sexually attracted to him, but I just didn't want to jump his bones. And I, and I, and I didn't know why, but that was the case. And so I, I recently had the conversation where I, I had to do deep breathing before I called this man because I was just, I felt so awful saying it, but I was like, no, this is a really good challenge for me to be comfortable in this type of conversation because. I'm being respectful to myself. I'm being respectful to him, even though it feels like I'm being stabbed. So the line that I kind of, a friend helped me come up with it. And I was like, oh, this feels really good. And very truthful was I'm not feeling what I'd like to feel at this stage of dating. So I think we should, you know, go our separate ways. And it took everything in me to not be like,
1: like I'll
0: hang out with you soon. Or like call you later. Like I had to just
1: be like, (gasps) bye. (laughs) Oh gosh. That's so honest. That's the best. And it's super respectful because it is honest and it's not its not bullshit. I didn't say anything I didn't mean, which was honestly a first for me because I pad it. I pad shit when it's bad news and I want to stop doing that. No, it's good. At the end of the day, you've got tread carefully through this life. Try not to hurt and crush people, literally crushing people as you walk through life. Because when you crush someone, you crush yourself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You do. Yeah. So that was great. Good advice. I mean, I hopefully am never going to be in that situation because I've got my lovely man. I don't oh, have to nice. break up with anyone ever again. But if ever that happens, Cody will know. He'll say, that's that line from the podcast. That <laughs> Sorry, <bitch." Cody>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's really lovely talking to you, Christine. You too. It really is. You too. Excellent advice. And um, thanks. Really, you are so funny. I'm going to continue <laughs> to listen to your podcast. I think it's Thank really you. comforting. I would love to have you on
0: Guys We Fucked if you're ever interested. Sure. Yeah, that sounds fun. Being a woman in the music industry, I have so many questions. Because the music industry does not treat its artists with respect in this way. Like, I've dated a lot of musicians and been friends with a lot of musicians. And I see the way the industry just stifles your creativity. And I'm like, oh, it kills me. That's awful. The way the record labels kind of just take over and and manufacture you. And it's like, the, the artists... Should get paid. Wait, you, yeah, like musicians don't get paid the amount they should. It's, it's really interesting to witness an industry where you're like so many talented people
1: pouring your fucking heart out for music. And then you have the business model of the industry. It's just shit. I know. It's such a shame, isn't it? I try to ignore it. I think it's changing now because we have we kind of have the power if we can use a computer, which most artists actually struggle with because we're creatives. But if you kind of have learned it and you've been born in that era. You should know how to put your own records out. That's a real freedom. You also should know how to record yourself. That's a real freedom again. I actually don't know the ins and outs of how to do that because I was born in a different era. So I'm like learning it now. I just have learned how to record my own voice in the pandemic purely because I couldn't get to the studio. But the younger artists, they have everything at their fingertips so they don't have to deal with those business people that will suck the life out of you if you let them so you know business and commerce it's an interesting mix it's like we do need to sell our records to eat and turn on our lights you know but oh how much do we need to really invite that into our world it's very but you have a something to communicate through your like that's that's the crazy you got to do you, it you have the urge yeah. to get songs out
0: there and it's like oh to have an industry that's just kind of more abusive to the creative heart of the artist
1: What? I know I almost thought about like creating something to protect the artist from it because a lot of artists I would say when I was growing up in it I was watching and looking at my friends and seeing them just get sadder and sadder and turning to drugs and turning to alcohol and then not writing and then some of them died you know it's like some people like look at Amy Winehouse what happened with her I don't know I mean I didn't know her that well but it was quite obvious that the job is really what overtook and I just don't like that man, I don't see how that it's not
0: fair. That would be cool if you created something. I will say like having people that are successful in the industry like just to look after them. And just with information like these are the things that can happen. Like those are tools in somebody's tool belt that they'll never forget. There was one instance where Maria Banford, who's one of my favorite stand-up comedians, she had a workshop at the Pit one year for uh, during a comedy festival where she took one of her contracts for a gig and she passed it around. It had her paycheck, it had the door deal, it had the percentage and I was like wow, we don't share this information that this is extremely helpful information to know. Like what are other people making and what is possible for me to make on a weekend at a club? What should I ask? And just even that, those little things.
1: Yeah, what's right? You know, what do you deserve? Actually, you deserve a lot. You're doing the bloody work, for God's sake. (laughs) And
0: when you're young and you're starting out, you're so hungry for it that it's so easy to not understand these little things that are happening.
1: And also, you would do anything. And that's the bit that I think is the saddest part, is that artists that are just beginning, they feel like it's such a dream that is not tangible and it's so far away that if they're offered the shittest deal that would take over their lives for 10 years, they'll say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Yep, no problem. I got it. And it's like, what?
0: What?" Wow. Yeah. And that
1: is insane. And that is because they don't have that belief that actually, no, I am worth this. I am worth respect. I'm putting in half of the work. I should get half the money or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like to empower those young artists to believe and to not be so insecure that you'll just take anything. It's like a relationship is the same bloody thing. It's like, if you are super insecure, you will accept something less than what you deserve it's really hard to become secure when you're at the beginning you know because you've got nothing to validate you yeah apart from you that's all you have you
0: yeah and it's yeah the industry takes advantage of that young hunger you should make something and you get in there and just even saying that I imagine to young artists alone just say there's enough success for everybody you either operate out of love or fear so check yourself are you taking this deal because you're afraid that you'll never get another one that's something you want to listen to
1: I know. Oh, it's such a tough situation. Can't see the future, can we? And at the end of the day, I always remember, and I'll tell this story when I sit on your podcast, hopefully. I left a big record label because they were just being arseholes. But when I left, the reason why I had the strength to leave is because I realised, I simplify everything. That's how I get on in life. I realise that they cannot take your voice. If they take your guitar, you can get another one. Come on. If they take your pencil, you can get another one. You're going to be okay. You know, you have you. And they can't take that. So if you believe that. Yeah, they're not Ursula. They can't just take your voice
0: in a ball and then keep it in a jar on their shelf. Exactly. You're That's your own big. Ursula. You keep that voice in your throat. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. You have the power, you know, and that goes for everything. You can apply that to a record deal or to a relationship or to a, any other type of job or whatever. Yeah. You are your own Ursula. I like yeah. that.
0: And you're your own, what's the dad called? That hot, she had a hot dad. What's the Ariel's dad? Oh yeah, the
1: Merman. Yeah, the Merman, yeah. Oh yeah. You're both. I don't remember his name, but he was wonderful, wasn't he? Yeah, he was hot. I had a crush on him. You did? So you like Santa Claus? He was kind of like Santa Claus. He was, but he was like Jack. He was strong and he had lo- Yeah, he was. That body was something else.
0: And he loved his daughter so much.
1: And he like let her be a human even though he loved her. And I, I was like, that's know, really nice. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, he was a good dad. We want dads like <laughs> that, don't we? He was the original zaddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless. I'm going to go watch Little Mermaid now. <laughs> I just love it. It's my favorite. I so badly wanted to be her when I was a kid. It's so funny. Oh. Well, you are your own version of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your next stage oh, show, you get
0: wheeled out in like a half fish outfit. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, don't give me these ideas. <laughs> you make up your own you'll, rules. You'll see it going all tits up, and <laughs> everyone will think I've gone mad, and I'll just blame it on this one interview. I would be honoured. Is- Yeah, affected my life forever. (laughs) (laughs) I've done my job. Oh, dear. (laughs) Thank you so much, Christina. You've rocked. Thank Thank you, you too. Yeah. Before you click off, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you, whether you listen to every episode or you've only just found us today. It means so much that you're here on this happiness journey with us. My understanding of happiness is changing and evolving every time I speak to one of my amazing guests. But what I really hope is that you're getting something out of it too. That's why we do this. I want you to be able to live a happier, more fulfilled life. And one of the easiest ways to do that, as we've learned, is to help the people around you improve theirs. So here's my challenge to you. Think about one thing that you learned from my guest today. Really think about how it could change your happiness or improve your happiness. Now, tell one person. Just one person will do and make their day a little better. Share the love. Thanks again for listening. See you next time for another Cup of Happy.